high when it's high and you're going to be really low emotional and, and thinking about killing somebody when they're down. They say don't go in it. If you don't have a stomach for it, don't get into it. Now the truth of the matter is, is once you've been in it for a while, you can develop an attitude where you're okay with it going up and you're okay with it going down. Because you probably, if you're doing it smart, you're investing in a timely manner, once a month, whatever it might be, and you're tickled pink when it goes down, uh, unless you're getting ready for retirement. And like, you're, thank you, Trump, for, for the tariffs, because, man, it has crashed the stock market, and we're buying when it's low. You, you develop an attitude. At the top of your notes, I have the word attitude there. I'd like to talk to you about an attitude today. I'm not, I'm not talking about an attitude when it comes to a, a, a bad attitude or a complaining attitude or, or the sky is falling attitude. I want to talk to you about an attitude. We kind of just titled it, Easy Come, Easy Go. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, you don't care about anything in life, but I'm talking about an attitude as a Christian and I just heard this this past week. Is they say, you know, we hold everything lightly in our hands. Everything we have, it's in our hands. We're going to use it. But we're not grabbing on with both hands, holding it so tight that God has to pry our grip away to maybe give it to somebody else or be there for somebody else or help somebody else. I have in your notes a definition for contentment. You can take a look at it there. It's just a state of happiness and satisfaction. Now, you have a set of sermon notes there, and if you have the Bible app on your smartphone, you can pull that out, go to uh, the live events, and then just click on uh, LifeHouse there, and it'll pop right up. I'd like to add something to Webster's definition from our perspective as Christians. I would say it's a state of happiness and satisfaction no matter the situation or the circumstances. That doesn't mean that I'm like this all throughout life. I'm, I know ups and I understand that and I get that, but there's this contentment that I would like to talk to you about today. And I wonder if you can identify one or two things that may be robbing you of being content. Can you take a look in your notes there? Contentment comes from, one, a meaningful relationship or meaningful relationships. Uh, it's not knowing a lot of people. It's not saying I have a million people on my Facebook account or my Twitter account. It's not having all kinds of people say, wow, there's so many people have liked me. No, they liked your account to see the stupid things that you're doing. They don't, the, the word liked is, is the word for getting on there, but it's not that they like you. If nobody told you that, welcome to America. <laughs> it, meaningful relationships. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. It's in your notes. Today I put all of the notes in there on the front and on the back. A guy who was a smart guy, an intelligent guy, and I would say to you that he was a man who had godly wisdom because he asked God for it, and God gave him some of the greatest wisdom we've ever seen. Chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. You see, the eyes are the heart. He's got money. For whom am I toiling, he asks, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Here he is. He, he works hard. He's produced wealth, and he's got a lot of it. And you know what cause and effect is, right? What's the cause and effect of working, working, working? Well, the passage of Scripture says that he has neither son nor brother. And that could be a couple different things. 
It could be the fact that he has a son, but he spends no time with him because all he's doing is working. So in reality, he's, he's got no son. He could have a brother that he just doesn't have time for because he's toiling and he's working. And maybe it could be that he's working so hard he's never had time for a wife, so he doesn't have a son. He doesn't know. He, he's got to have family, but he just, he just doesn't. Because really what's his family is what he is working for. I, I ask myself the question, could I ask you, what gets in the way of spending quality time with a few people? You have to understand sociologically that most people can have three good friends in their life. We all want so many more, but if you think about the time you put into your responsibilities and whatever else you have in a week, to have three good friends and to pour into them the way that you should, it could be pretty consuming. Contentment comes from meaningful relationships and not a lot of them. Not many uh, get to the end of their life and make this statement. Gee, I wish I would have spent more time working than with people. I got an invitation. I'm going to see uh, the father of somebody that attends uh, Lifeline, and he basically uh, said, you know, I, 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 my time is running out. And I'll bet you that when I get there, the last thing he's going to say is, gee, I wish I worked more. His life, the end of his life is close. And if you've ever talked to anybody, that, I wonder if we couldn't possibly just win, uh, learn from that. Is it possible that I have to hear it over and over again of somebody who's lived life and not be able to apply it to my own life? Maybe you're a husband today or a father who works and says, I have to provide for my family and I don't have time. That's exactly what this passage of Scripture is talking about. I know you have to provide and that has become an excuse and I get that. I'm not telling you not to. Maybe you're a woman here. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a mother. You're driven to success because of the stupid pressure this world puts on women to succeed everywhere else except the greatest place to succeed is in motherhood. I get it. I get that you're talented. I get that and put that out there. But there's moms who are spastic about everything for their children. They're spastic about everything for their home. And they would never say that they're spoiling their kids, but everything's for their kid. And the way you know it is just have one of the teachers write home and say, so-and-so, little Johnny, whatever it is, you know, they've been talking up in class. And then have the mom show up and think, how dare you say that about my kid? Because the problem's not ever their child. The problem is always somebody else. Parents, you ought to be thankful for train wrecks for your kid while they're under your care because they're going to get them out there in life. At least you be there to help them. Help them understand and navigate it spiritually to help them see people that have had difficulties and problems. I was telling somebody what we were talking about this week, and this lady said, I'm going to send you a testimony that you're welcome to read. This woman has her own children, her own adult children. She's got grandchildren. And she wrote this, quote, Growing up, my father was hardly ever home. He worked three jobs so my mom and us kids could have all we wanted, and we did. She went on to tell me at Christmas time they had stacks of presents. We got everything except for a dad that was home with us. The only day we got to really see him was on Sundays, which was his day of rest, so to speak. Now I stop and think back about childhood and my dad. I really wish he would have not worked so many jobs and would have been, more, have been home more, content 
with what we had. So on Sundays, we could have gone to church to learn about Jesus and find out that our Heavenly Father would provide so much more, unquote. She went on to say, listen, I love my father. I'm not complaining. I don't hate him. It's just I wished we could have learned that contentment and he would have been taking us to church. I ask myself when I ask you the question, have I spent enough time, have you spent enough time building meaningful relationships? Because that is where a lot of contentment can come, especially if you have friends that will tell you like it is whether you want to hear it or not. Number two, contentment comes from having and not having. You know, I'll say this again. I, I think good parents know this. I think good uh, people know and understand this. You know, when do you let your child have and not have a cell phone, an iPad, and everything else that is out there? When is it that the good parents kick their kids off of the games? Have you guys seen any of the studies lately about the gaming world and what it's doing to young men especially? Have you seen the stats on how it is robbing them of all of their emotion because it's all been given into that? And every day you only have so much emotion. It's like a tank that gets filled and then it gets wiped out. Having and not having. We ought to apply this to, to our Heavenly Father, Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 10. Paul is in jail. He's writing from jail. Now, it's not like jail in the United States. Jail in his time was you're locked up. The government there did not pay for his food, his clothing, uh, any health care, anything he needed. You're on your own. And what you basically needed is you needed friends and people who cared enough about you, even though you were incarcerated or you were in jail, that would provide that. And I, I'm sure they probably gave him a little bit of slop here and there, but you needed friends. You needed people. He needed some of his uh, people that he had led to Christ to come and be there for him. That's the setting, as he says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, here's the very key thing. It's almost like he didn't care if they showed up or not. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And now you talk about having and not having. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned. That's the second time the word learned is used. Are you learning to be content? Am I learning to be content? There's areas we've conquered. There's areas we haven't. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here it is, everybody, verse 13. I can do all this through Christ or through him who gives me strength. Passage of scripture that's on a lot of plaques in the world, isn't it? I like the word learned here because it basically says, Evan, you know, it's quite possible you're in the learning process of contentment. If I read Paul right, there was a time when he had it and he, was, he, he wasn't okay with it. But he had learned and he had grown in his faith and he had grown to learn what Jesus Christ would do in and through him. His life had been threatened. He's being falsely accused. He's sitting in jail. And I don't know, when I read this, knowing that he knew the Old Testament, I think he had to go to Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You take the joy of the Lord away, it's a pretty miserable place to be. It's a pretty tough place to be. And I understand. I understand that there's difficult and there's 
difficult and tough times when the joy of our relationship is sucked away. But he said, whether I had or didn't have, I'm okay, because contentment is a learned characteristic. It is a learned attitude of an ongoing walk with Christ that we get to trust him. It's like playing the stock market. It's going to go up and down, but you've learned to be content with it. And if it crashes and you lose everything, you're okay. No, I, I know that's not the case. Having and not having. If we have everything we want, there's no opportunity to be content. If you have everything you want, where's the opportunity to learn what it means to feel like and to be okay when you have nothing? You need the haves and the not-haves, the things we've asked for and the things that we've not received. I remember somebody who told me this probably a dozen times. He said, Evan, if God never gave me another thing, I'm okay. He's given me so much. He's answered so many prayers. He's done so many things for me. If he never gave me another thing for the rest of my life, I'm okay. And I have thought and I've thought a lot about that, and I've tried to get to that place. Okay, if, and you think about everything you've received, if you had nothing else. Having and not having is a, a way that we learn contentment. I looked this up, and, and the, this phrase, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, it can be translated, I am strong for all things in Christ who empowers me. Now, if you come to my Bible studies, you know I have a pet peeve about passages of Scripture that are taken out of context. Right? You guys ever remember Albert Bell? Albert Bell oftentimes would sign a, a baseball and toss it into the, uh, his fans. Uh, toss it at his fans. No, just kidding. Uh, Philippians 4.13. And he'd go, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, it was about his batting. It was about uh, playing... In this context is about being content with the haves and the not having. Remember that when you see this passage of Scripture. Contentment is learned by having and not having. It's an easy come, easy go kind of an attitude that we hold things loosely in our hands. The song we sang, Blessed be the name of the Lord, he gives and takes away. How many of you know what book of the Bible that song comes from? Job had so much, and he had so much taken away from him. You all right today? You all right? You picturing it all gone, and you still being okay? And the greatest theological teaching in the book of Job is he did not sin. It was not because of sin that it was taken away. I shouldn't say he didn't say it. was not because his friends were bad advisors. You must have done something wrong. He gives and takes away. Number three, contentment comes from an eternal perspective. Have you ever gotten upset about something petty? The proverbial socks on the floor. I talked to somebody the other day. They were saving some Bananas on the counter for banana bread. And their spouse threw them out. And they were all upset about bananas. I'll buy you three bananas. I'll stick them in the back of my car until they're ripe and I'll deliver them. 
bananas. You ever, okay, you know, the PB&J with the kid goes upside down, wrong side on the floor, and you flip out. Have you ever been upset? It's just a combination of so many different things about something that is petty. And you know it's petty. Let's work our way through 1 Timothy See if we can get an eternal perspective. 1 Timothy 6. Let's just start with verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to understand something. Godliness means you're a follower of Christ. Contentment means that you're content with what you have. Now, if you think about it with me, you'll understand that there are some people who are not Christians and maybe even ungodly, and they've achieved contentment. They're content. I know people like this. They're content where they're at, and they're content with what they have, and they're just easy going, and they're fine. And then I know Christians who are godly, and they have no contentment. Or maybe, I shouldn't say no contentment, they're struggling with contentment. In this passage of Scripture, says godliness with contentment is great gain. That word great there in the original language is megas, M-E-G-A-S. The word gain there is the word acquisition. It literally could be translated, godliness with contentment is a mega achievement. It's a mega achievement. It's a big achievement. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And your heavenly Father knows you need them and says, I will provide those. Don't be like a pagan, walking around, running around after these things. You seek the kingdom of heaven first. That's our theme for the year. This stuff will come later and after. I I will take care of you. And the passage of Scripture says, Evan, you, you came in as a baby. You didn't have no clothes. You had a heartbeat, and you had the air in your lungs, which you sang about this morning, and all that, but you had nothing else that could help you live, nothing else to help you sustain you. If somebody didn't help you, you were done. You brought nothing into this world. You take nothing out. Every achievement you have made, Pastor Evan won't mean a rip when I die. What I have, what I have accomplished... My kids care about what I'm leaving them. (laughs) An eternal perspective. Verse 7, in light of eternity, does this really matter? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You're fighting over the color of paint. You're going to paint the den, and you are fighting over it. Does this really matter? Why doesn't one of you give in? And preferably it would be the other person, not me. Wouldn't it be nice to have the contentment and strength to say, I don't care, paint it purple. That's reaching, isn't it? You know, make a choice. You know, what is it that we're fighting for in regards to eternity? Not getting our way, winning a fight. And you know, you win a fight, you're content for a minute until you maybe have to pay the price for it. You were right. Now the one on the opposite side knows it, and they're not really happy about it. Verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Could you circle that word trap? We'll come back to it. They fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. You kind of just feed that desire that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And I talked to some people who were extremely rich about seven years ago. 
When they became Christians, they thought this passage of Scripture said the love of money. They thought this passage of Scripture says money is the root of all evil. And they left out the love of money. And so when they got saved, they were Christians about three years. And finally I talked to them, and they were struggling, struggling. And they said, well, yeah, but to have money means, you know, that that's not a good thing. I was like, no, it's the love of money. And they were like light bulb. Wow. I always heard and thought that wrong. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. There you have it. And pierced themselves with many griefs. I was talking to a friend who had a raccoon in their attic. A raccoon family. And they tried to find where it was going up and down. Their attic was divided. And, was, and they said basically they're, they're at the point where they're, they're going to get a trap. They're going to get a trap, they're going to set the trap up, and they're going to put either cat food in there, or they're going to put an apple in there, or something like that. And Can't you just picture it? Here's the raccoon, dumb as a raccoon. He's not dumb as a, anything else, he's a raccoon. He, he wants it so bad, he's climbing through the cage, he takes it, steps on it, boom, he's caught. Raccoons are not real smart. The passage of Scripture says, the one who desires to get wealthy, and that's what they focus on, they fall into a trap. There's a trap waiting for you. It's set for you. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'm really trying to do this, that, the other, and you just, I'm going to make money in doing this, and you look everything aside, and then it blows up, and you say, where was God? Well, you wouldn't listen to God. It's a trap. Don't let that trap take you down. Contentment comes from Christians who take the time to contemplate eternity in light of eternity. And folks, I am not against rich Christians. Some of the richest, most wealthiest Christians I know say to me, Evan, if you ever know somebody that has a need, you just call. And I have. They're generous. God can trust them with his wealth. Number four. God's promises to you. Contentment comes from God's promises to you. A young lady's a nurse. She's, let me back up, she's going to school to be a nurse. She's gone through all the classes to be a nurse. She's made a, 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 a commitment with her mom and dad. You pay for half your classes, we'll pay for the other half. And now it's time for her to take the bar exam or whatever it is they call it, uh, some type of nurse's exam. What is it? I didn't know. I don't know why that's funny. Huh? Boards. Nursing boards. Thank you. She's got to go to Columbus. She's got to stay overnight. She's got to pay for, the, pay for it. And she says, Mom and Dad, I ain't got the money. And so our parents say to her, on one condition, we will give you the money for that. That you study and you stay away from partying. You're not going to take our money and pour it down the drain. Yes, Mom, I want. They hang up, she hangs up the phone knowing that Mom and Dad are good for their word. They made a promise. God brings contentment through his promises. But the thing I want to say to you is, is if you've seen promises and you've claimed promises, did you notice what the, the, uh, the commitment was on, on your side? Have you noticed what the condition was on our, our side? Take a look at um, Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Here's the condition. Evan, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Start right there, Evan. There's the condition. Because God has said, here comes the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
What can mere mortals do to me? How's that for an eternal perspective with God's promises? Look at what we have lots of times. And we always look to see what somebody else has. A lot of times our problem in comparison is as we compare up. Why don't we compare down? Right, you, you guys have seen the plaque. It's an old plaque, you know. I used to complain about the shoes that I had until I saw a little boy with no feet. Shortened version of it. Why do we always, when's the last time you got online? You can go anywhere online. Why don't you go into some world, third world country? Take a look at what they have and you have. Why are we always comparing up? God has made a promise. Be content with what you have. I said, you know, lots of times I hate the, the I hate exaggerations. And I'd like to say to you, I've never said them, but I, I'm real careful. I don't like when somebody uses the word never and somebody uses the word always, but God said never. And I, I'm okay if he says it. But you have to understand when you've read, you ought to have a signal go off in your mind when you see a plaque that says, never will I leave you or forsake you. You have to see what your part is, what my part is. I have to make sure that I say, Lord, I'm content with what I have. And then I love verse 6 there. I have to say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I have to say with confidence. Confidence is, I believe you. Confidence is, I have faith in you. When I see the word helper here, God says, I'm your helper. I think of the book of Genesis. I think of the first man who needed a helper. And God provided it. Man, had everything. All the animals, he could go hunting and shooting. Actually, he couldn't do any of that. He could fish. I don't even know he could fish. But he had everything except God says it's not good for the man to be alone. Let me make him a helper. And every man here who has a woman knows you need her. You need her. She's become our helper. And I look at that and I say, God says, I'm your helper. And if Adam, and we can see so plainly that he needed a, he needed a helper, he needed a woman, we can certainly see that God says, I want to be your helper. Uh, here I am. I'm your helper. D don't say that you're afraid. What can a mere mortal do to you? We, we all know what it's like to have someone break a promise, but God will not make his promise. But always, please, look for the condition of what it is God is expecting you to do. Confidence in God's promises breeds contentment in me. I'm confident that he'll keep his promise. The other day I was uh, in Giant Eagle. And I went up to Giant Eagle. I wasn't in Walmart, Jeff. I was in Giant Eagle. And I only had two little things. I didn't even have a basket. I hold my hand, and all three lines were really long, so I did what all you do. I went up to the service counter. Eh, the service counter, they'll, they'll take you real quick, you know. And I got up to the service counter. There was only one lady there, and she was there, and she was complaining. She's a disgruntled for whatever reason. And she's talking to the lady in front of her, and the lady in front of her is the cashier trying to talk. And there was a representative, a manager, somebody from Giant Eagle, and they're talking to her. I mean, and they're talking to her for about five minutes. Not that I was looking at my watch. And six minutes goes by. And you know, doggone it, not one time did they ever even recognize I existed. I'm standing there, and this disgruntled person is whining and complaining, and my wife says to me, so much for saving time. At that point, you know you're sold out. You're not going to go get back in line because you know if you do, the, the light's going to blink up top. If you go back over there, you're going to have some kind of problem. And, I was, and finally, finally, 
a lady over there says, uh, can I help you over here? And I say, yes, you can help me. Disgruntled, not knowing what's happening, what's going on. And I want to be gentle when I say this to you and to me. Sometimes we're disgruntled Christians because we don't understand God's ways and we get disgruntled with him. And that robs our contentment. In your notes, I have this asterisk there, and I want to say this to you gently, and I want to say it to me gently, and I want to say it just challengingly, that discontentment says, Father, you're not who you say you are. Right? Father, you're not really who you say you are. You're really not enough for me. Your presence and your Holy Spirit aren't really there for me when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't care what Psalm 23 says. You're just not enough for me. You cannot provide for me because if you could, I'd have the job or I'd be in the relationship I want. You've not given it to me. Sometimes disgruntled Christians say, you know, we don't, we don't really care. You don't care for me because if you did, I would not be going through what I'm going through right now. No father treats his kid like this. And ultimately, a disgruntled Christian says to the father, I, I really just need more than you, father. I need more than you. You are not enough. And every one of the four points that we looked at today could be in relationship to Jesus Christ. Meaningful relationships, right? How about a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ? What have you poured into other than just coming to church on Sunday? Because I guarantee you, while it's really nice to see you, this is not enough. If you come out Wednesday, we'll feed you. And we'll have a Bible study that'll feed you. This is not enough. A meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants it. Having and not having, the second point. You know, when you grow up, you begin to be okay with not having. And there's a certain joy and strength you have because it comes from the Lord. I don't have to have that. I'm okay. An eternal perspective we need to break away from just feeding the physical and the emotional. Because otherwise, those things control us. And then God's promises to you, what we just finished up, you know, when will we believe the promises of God over what it is that we may be experiencing and going through? I'm going to ask uh, David if he'd come up. We're going to close uh, just on the keyboard, you know, I'd rather have Jesus. And in your notes... I have a passage of scripture here, and I would think of all people, Christians should be the ones who should be content, and I would say be learning contentment. I get it. Maybe you've arrived. I certainly haven't. We're learning this together. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, right? I have a passage of scripture here, and go ahead, Dave. You can start playing whatever you want. I'm going to ask you in just a minute, is there one of the areas of your life where you're not content? Uh, I'm going to ask you just today, if you'd raise your hand, we'll, we'll pray together. But in the, one of the darkest times of my ministry, God gave me this passage of Scripture every three, five, seven days. Over a period of about six weeks. I'd hear it here, I read it there, came in one of my devotionals. He kept saying it loud and clear to me. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for heaven, who could be against me? Though there were people against me. 
God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for Evan, for all of us? How will God not also, along with Jesus, graciously give Evan all things? And that was about 11 years ago. And it has so impacted me that I'm here sharing it with you today. Contentment. When it looked like darkness, and God, like we sang, the light came through. Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed today, I want to pray with you because I want to pray for myself this morning. If you need prayer for an area of contentment and the Spirit has spoken to your heart, would you raise your hand where you're at here today so we can pray together? Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. Lower your hand. Father, we come before you today understanding and realizing the Scriptures teach that contentment comes from a relationship with you. Contentment comes from believing you. But you've made us as flesh and you know our weaknesses, it says in the Scripture. But we want to be more like Christ. We want to be more like he, his trust in the Father, even though he was going to have to be crucified. We want to be like people we know. And that, that gentleman who said to me, you know, if God never gave me another thing, I could never complain. He's given me more than I deserve. The people that have raised their hand today, Father, could I ask you to today let them know you love them? Today, before the sun goes down. In some way, shape, or form, let them know you care about them. Let them know you know about their situation. May they get to the place where they say, I'd rather have Jesus. No matter the outcome of this, oh, I got my preferences. But may we come to that place where we would rather have Christ rather than anything else. In eternity, <laughs> Jesus, you, you are all that we're going to have, and it's going to be more than enough. But on this side of eternity, sometimes it's a struggle. Show them today you care for them. And when it happens to them today, may your Holy Spirit bring it right to their mind. Boom, this is Jesus showing me. He loves me and he cares for me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.